0: I'm Noah Daniel, teacher, speaker, children's book author, and co-founder of the Mentory here on behalf of Beluga for Same Here Schools. I have been teaching since Gen Z was born, and we're now teaching Gen Alpha. I'm thrilled to be moderating this panel with Eric Tao and Ron Nober, and I'm looking forward to hearing their thoughts on this topic, as well as welcoming questions and insights from listeners in this Twitter space. Ron, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so my name is Ron Nober. Like you said, I am a technology teacher for third grade to eighth grade in New Jersey, USA. And I'm also co-host of the Teacher Nerds podcast and really got very interested in, uh, you know, information about Generation Z and Generation Alpha's uh, learning styles after talking with uh, Sean Young, who is the co-founder and CEO of Classcraft, um, kind of kicked that off for me.
0: Well, that's really cool. I'm, I just need to clarify that I'm Canadian, which is why I said Gen Z and clearly threw off all the But <laughs> from a global standpoint, I can go fluidly between Gen Z and Gen Z, just to keep the conversation flowing. Ron, it's nice to meet you. Eric, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Well, it's very interesting because I am also Canadian, uh, but Ron, I'm also I also live in New Jersey, <laughs> so uh, a, a common thread between both of you. Um, hey everybody, uh, my name is Eric Tao. Uh, I am a the CEO of uh, an instructional platform called Megaminds. Uh, our platform makes it easy for teachers to create and share lessons in 3D interactive environments that provide students with enhanced learning experiences and that drive engagement and improve outcomes. Um, I'm not a teacher, uh, nor do I have an education background. My background is in technology. So I worked at Google throughout the teens, uh, and that was really where I was introduced to um, technology and also specifically how how it can work in education and really uh, to benefit students and provide adaptive learning uh, um, scenarios for for students and and really and that's 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 how I got you know my start into into ed tech. Um, I have happen to have two girls that are at the very beginning of Gen Alpha, so I've learned a lot about you know, learning styles and the differences that they have versus what, you know, I grew up with and how they're growing up, you know, both of them were able to, you know, knew how to skip the commercials in a YouTube video before they were even two years old, you know, Um, and that, 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 you know, that kind of anecdote alone kind of tells you the differences between how this generation is growing up versus any other generation, I think.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too, like in just thinking about the show, this is a unique generation and looking at the origin of the term Gen Alpha, that was part of it is to really look at this being a new game and this new era of not just digital natives, but like really having the proclivity to understand almost intuitively how tech works from the day that they're born, which is really fascinating to teach. Um, It's really, really interesting in a lot of different ways. But I'd love to know, you know, from each of your vantage points, um, how these changes have happened and how we need to adapt as educators. And even just throwing it out, not an educator, like in technology, you must be responsive to the audience that you're catering to. So there must be elements of how you're changing, how you do things for this new generation.
1: Ron? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I, I'm a Gen X, um, you know, grew up going to school in the, mainly in the eighties. And I really just think back to my, what school was like for me, it was, you know, more sitting in rows, more quiet, formal, structured. Um, And that's what I knew when I came into education. And even when I got my teaching degree, and I I didn't start my educational teaching journey until I was uh, 38, I I went back to school. Um, Prior to that, I worked as an archeologist and then a dog trainer. you know, and it all kind of fits together into teaching, I guess. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I came to it and what I learned in my college classes were still that, you know, the teacher is up there talking and giving instruction. And then we are giving, you know, work in the seats and you're going around and checking. And the more I started to work with students, I started to realize this isn't working anymore. This isn't how they're learning, um, you know, and collaboration really needed to start to happen and there needed to be interaction. Um, you know, I, I, when I had uh, Sean Young on the podcast, he kind of talked about how when he was young and I was a kid, you would go and spend, you know, $10 on a, for me, a cassette for him, a CD. And then you would (laughs) spend upwards of $150 to go see the same music performed at a concert, but you paid for the experience. And, That's what our students need now is your lessons have to be an experience for them. They're almost expecting an experience. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Actually, that's such a good way for us to segue to Eric. But I I really think that your point is about that movement from compliance to constructivism and that teacher going from like all-knowing, all-powerful learner to really being a facilitator of a more collaborative, interactive experience. Eric, yep. how yep. does that play out in your world?
2: So it's really interesting. I, I got to present uh, in March at the New Jersey uh, Educational uh, or EdTech Conference. And um, at, during my session, I, I was talking to a teacher and she said something, I was, you know, I had a question. I was like, how, how do you, you know, how, how, what is an engagement? Like in your classrooms today, and she said something that was so profound that I, I wanted to stop everything just kind of write down what she had what what she had said. Uh, but paraphrased, you know, she was saying how uh, a little bit of what you just said, Ron, like this generation has grown up so different than us than previous generations that they don't accept. Uh, um, the status quo any longer. You know, she she sat there uh, and she was going. I don't know what to do. The kids they won't concentrate on anything for longer than ten minutes. They have to be doing something with their hands. They don't want to listen to me. And I and it's, I think it's because they 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 won't accept the status quo. They don't, the sage on the stage just doesn't apply to them anymore. You know, um, they they want learning that's that's relevant. That's that's uh, um, you know along the lines of how they live their lives. Um, you know, maybe they have no reference. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to, I've been since that day, I've been trying to think, figure out why. And maybe it's because they have no reference for, for, you know, the, 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 the type of learning that you described on, on Gen X as well. Um, you know, that's, that's what we had growing up, but maybe this generation just has no reference for that. So that it just, it just won't, it's like oil and vinegar with them. Um, I, I would love to hear the I educator point is, of view. think like Let's... that
0: whole sit and get mentality. Yeah, I, I think it's important. And Ron, I want you to come, I want to come back to what you were saying, Ron, but like, I think that they will not settle for anything that is done to them. And it really reminds you of the beauty of this generation if you grab their engagement. If you do not grab their engagement, whoop, are you in trouble? They have no time yeah. for you and no interest. <laughs> What
1: about you, Ron, in your classroom? Yeah, so uh, I, you know, and I again, thinking about this, this is a, this generation, there's a lot of hyper-personalization for them, right? Yeah. So you have Netflix is telling you what you may want to watch based on your preferences. YouTube is telling you, hey, you may want to look at this, TikTok, the same thing. Yeah. So- there again, it's back to they're looking for an experience because so much is tailored specifically to their likes that it has to be an experience, and within that experience, there has to be choice. Yeah,
0: I love that you said Joyce because I think the reality is, um, we don't want to have these passive consumers who are just taking their you know, not even 10 second, like three second attention span and scrolling to the next thing. We want them to be able to engage meaningfully in their learning and make it the experience that will help them know their own likes and interests and not have to be dictated to them through an algorithm. So being part of that solution and showing them that they can take an active role. uh, You see something that you can implement in your work, Eric?
2: I mean, that's that's what we're what would you described is what we're trying to do with our platform. You know, we're 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 trying to provide a tool set for teachers um, that <clears throat> allows them to incorporate, you know, the the a lot of the things that we're talking about, personalize the learning, you know, encouraging collaboration, you know, um, creativity is a big one for us, you know, being able to being able to create, you know, one of our one of our kind of most unique features is is that teachers can assign a virtual, a 3D virtual world, if you will, to a student, and then the student can take it and, and make it, make out of it what they will, you know, instead of instead of in lieu of doing a poster or in lieu of, of, you know, some sort of creative exercise, it's taking the context that they love. And we haven't even talked about gamification yet, or Roblox, the Roblox generation, that sort of thing. But it's taking that context and then and then putting the applying it into an educational setting and, and applying the learning to it. I think there's something there that's really interesting. That's what we're focusing on on um, on building out. It's,
0: it is really interesting. I mean, Beluga's really been at the forefront of this from the beginning and putting the content there so that students can have it at their fingertips and that personalizing experience, not just personalized for them, but the opportunity to really be able to drive the direction of their learning within the umbrella of the you know, whatever it is, whether it's a content-based thing, a requirement, a skill that they're trying to develop related to the standards. So I think that, that there are a lot of ways that we can work within the blocks and build outside of the blocks. And it sounds like all of you are, are raising that issue. I think it's important to talk about the social-emotional aspect mm. because mm-hmm. I, I definitely, especially exacerbated by the pandemic, I think that the, the new generation is really really different this year I, i'd never seen students like this before and mm-hmm. i think that all of the things that you're doing eric and the things Ron you're talking about must play out in in a very bigger picture of not just the whole child but this element of teaching social emotional learning skills embedded in everything else that we're doing it, re- it creates more complexity and layers and strategy into everything we do how do you do that Ron in your classroom
1: so i mean my classroom is very much hands on it's it's a technology class and and i do like i said from 3rd grade all the way to 8th grade so my goal is to technology is so vast and My goal is to let students see little bits of technology so that it can spark their interest. Um, And a lot of the work that I do is it's collaboration. So that's where we work on the social emotional aspects because we're not doing collaboration just for collaboration's sake. It's collaboration because I think some of the things that have been missed over the pandemic um over with with this uh, generation specifically being um, more comfortable being online and behind a screen, the collaboration teaches them about collaboration. how do you interact? How do you work together with someone. So even though we may be doing a project on video editing, it's a about how do you interact with people? How do you compromise? How do you select someone who maybe is going to be a leader? How do you do trade-offs as you're working through um, projects? Um, And I do that all the way from third grade, all the way up through eighth grade, because as you have students start to become leaders and know who they are, sometimes there's a shift Uh, in dynamics that, you know, need to be addressed. Um, So, like I said, the collaboration piece for me is where I kind of take all that social-emotional learning.
0: I'm so happy that you said it that way. I think a lot of teachers see social-emotional learning as an add-on or something they do in a day. But what you're doing is really using the learning and the content as a conduit to building those essential skills. And they're not just essential for now. They're essential for forever. We know that in the world that we live in, collaboration is so important. But I want to go back to that missing piece. And one of the things we've seen come out of the pandemic is this lack of empathy. So we're teaching design processes and empathy is an essential piece of that process. And students are having a lot of difficulty connecting. And maybe it's because of your point of being behind the screen. So, how do you mitigate some of that, Eric?
2: It's interesting that you brought up the difficulty connecting because we're uh, working with a, a pilot school, and and um, for our platform, I was talking to um, uh, the director of technology, and he was like, you know, he he he, you know, <clears throat> back back a little, backing up to the social emotional aspect, you know, what what are the things that we do uh, on our platforms? We just we want to provide the environment for the teachers. We want to give them the tools to. To, uh, to be able to uh, uh, enact their social, emotional you know learning practices that they want to apply to the students. So I was talking to the technology director and, and he was like, um, you know, we kind of think of our tools sweet spot is mostly the middle school grades. But he was like, mm-hmm. you know, I think this would be really great for our, our, you know, AP, you know, physics class, you know, you know, 12th graders. I was like, really? I'm like, why? He's
1: mm-hmm. like,
2: because they don't, connect with each other. They sit there and it's the quietest class I've ever seen in my life. Nobody talks <laughs> and they have difficulty connecting in person. He's like, I'm wondering if they interacted in in this 3D environment that's controlled by avatars. I'm wondering if that will break the ice. Uh, you know, I, I haven't, uh, this was a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't talked to them since to see whether they've tried that experiment. But, you know, there is something to you know, and this perhaps it's a carryover from the pandemic as well. You know, uh, uh, you know the 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 experiences that they picked up that they're that they are going through as children living, you know, as Gen Alpha, G- tail end of Gen Z, living through school, going through that online, you know, uh, experience of the pandemic, and then kind of that is kind of delayed. Part of what's delayed them as well is they're 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 two years older, but not really two years older emotionally. So you know, maybe they. Got, right. Mm. no I mean, yeah so, I think, so
0: like, sorry, sorry heard with the delay i apologize eric but like mm. that that explicit need for social emotional support and honing those social awareness skills can really help them not just to build empathy but like even lead to greater tolerance and the celebration of those those experiences that they otherwise might not have engaged in i think it's it's interesting, like when you look at what's supposed to be in some of these generations, and you're seeing how it's manifesting, there are those gaps. And I think that the pandemic really did impact it. But the the changes in those, those learners and, and how they drive the differences in how we teach and learn should be understood. So you know, you're yeah. talking about, what you're doing in one space and, and thinking about how oh. it applies to AP physics. But the truth is yep. that the, the kinds of things you're trying to teach along with the learning is, is going to help them be better citizens, global citizens yep. and yep. connected people.
2: Yep. And and I I think we have to take into account as well, especially for high school kids where social, it's such a social, you know, period in their lives, you know, you know, being, you know, making friends and this sort of thing. But, you know, the pandemic took that away from them. Um, We, I was speaking to, um, we actually had a couple of high school kids uh, from the Bay Area as our, as our interns last summer. And I was talking to one of them and I was like, tell me about it. Tell me about your experience. He was like, well, the first thing he said was, well, you know, it was very difficult to make friends, and I'm like, "Well, exactly. How did, did you? How did you make friends when all your classes were on Zoom?" He was like, "We would play Roblox." He was like I would try to find a group. I would try to find a group of kids, and I would uh, in my class, and I would ask them what their Roblox names were, and I would try to go into Roblox and play with them, and that's how I made friends.
0: But I think my youngest daughter did the same. Yeah, Ron, go ahead.
1: I was just saying, I think you know one of the things that as an educator we need to do is honor the communication style of the generation, right? So whether it was my grandparents' generation, their communication style was a handwritten letter. And, you know, my parents' generation communication was a phone call. And for me, my you know, for me anyway, I'm big with email. You know, so if this generation, they're comfortable in that space, maybe that is where we honor, like, you know, something like what Eric's doing with Minds, right? Like, you honor how they want to communicate, and then you get them breaking out of their shell in that space, and now you can bring in the more face-to-face conversations, but... You know, honoring what they want to do and and how they want to communicate, I think, is important rather than trying to force a communication style on them. Yeah,
2: I
0: couldn't agree more. I think it's so significant. I remember the beginning of the year, I'm teaching a four or five split halftime. And I was saying to the parents, the the schools give you an an agenda. And I've been teaching grade eights and everything has been digital. And all of a sudden, I'm like, an agenda. They're going to write down their hope this generation is going to write it down every single day and they're going to find the agenda take it home and bring it back like legit is this actually happening and so i'm trying to be you know compliant but also realistic and i literally said i cannot promise that this is how we're going to do this i'm going to figure out what works for everybody and kind of like what you're talking about with gamifying their lives like if you imagine how an agenda could be like interactive and fun and you could get a badge for everything that you check off like oh my gosh kids would be doing their homework and things would be so much more fun so if we were really letting them lead and we were responding to what they're showing us through the choices but also through the mediums i think it would be so much more effective what an excellent point
1: mm-hmm. and if i i just wanted to speak to you were talking about empathy um you know, one of the ways for me, again, bringing it into technology is we do use, when we're talking about design projects, we use the design thinking process. So you are putting yourself into the shoes of the other person or the per, the stakeholder you're designing for. Um, I do try and bring in things like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals into class. Mm. So. Students can start to see that their own little world or community that they may have, be it on roadblocks or, you know, I teach in a rural community, that there are people outside of that area who are dealing with different things. Um, I, I work a lot with Girl Rising, a nonprofit, and we talk about girls struggle for education around the world. And that's a really good entry point for a lot of students because they can connect with going to school whether it's in india or africa or you know in the middle east they can connect with being in school so finding those connections are and and bringing those into your classroom is an easy easier step of bringing empathy in
0: Well, I mean it's about knowing your learners and knowing their context, but giving them the space to bring their lived experiences into the conversation and kind of going back to that beluga point of learning about the world with the world. You you cannot be isolated. This is a global world. So it's really yep. clever that you're having them use their learning and their lives to connect to other people and other places that have some similarities, even though you're looking at the sustainable development goals. It can be very difficult to breed empathy, and I think any teacher teaching those students today has to create those opportunities for connection first in order for the empathy to come. It's not natural, and I'm not sure that it ever really was, but I know that the explicit instruction and opportunities to build those skills are more essential than ever, for sure. I really love where this conversation is going, and I think that Coming back to some of the things we learned about student voice and choice, we really have to understand who our students are demographically and in the larger context of how they've changed over time. So what are some tweaks that you think, if educators are listening to this now or later, they can do to modernize and um, understand the learners in their room and some of the changes that have come? I can tell you for sure I no longer wait for my students to be perfectly quiet and aligned That was something that was really important at the beginning of my teaching career. And dude, like for what? Honestly, like respectable chatter is fine. Single file on the tile. Let's do it. But like, come on, that, that whole compliance focus, that whole fear based leadership is gone and there are a lot of people holding on hardcore to that power that can no longer work in a classroom what else has to change from your vantage point
1: i i think you know for me anyway uh the viewing what is reading and writing um you know, reading isn't just interpreting these symbols that are on a page, right? Audiobooks is reading. Video yeah, is Radio reading. Yeah,
0: Rip just put out some great stuff about audiobooks. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. I,
1: I, okay, I'll Go have ahead. to check it out. I, Ira Sokol, um, really amazing educator from Virginia. Uh, you know, he really kind of changed my mindset on this. Uh, Ira is dyslexic. He's written a number of books and articles. And he said, and I've never typed a word. You know, he (laughs) talked about reading James Joyce's Ulysses and never having opened the book. But he said, I can go into Mm -hmm. any bar in Ireland and talk James Joyce with everybody there. (laughs) And I've never opened the book. Um, It's such a great point. Yeah, changing your mindset on what is reading, and the same thing for writing. You know, if I'm teaching uh, persuasive writing, couldn't I make a video and use the have a student make a video and use the same exact skills of a persuasive essay? And oh my every gosh. student.
0: Angeles Stockman is coming on Monday to yeah. my show exactly <laughs> to talk about that because multimodal composition is the yeah. solution like that's really what you're mm-hmm. saying
1: yeah i mean all these all these students are the generation of tiktok and youtube and instagram reels and youtube shorts and this is what they know yep
0: oh yeah like try to teach a dance class at the front of the room or have them <laughs> emulate a tiktok you're going to have completely different classroom of students so we have to be in touch with who they are and what, what interests them, for sure. And I think that rethinking and kind of decolonizing that whole concept of reading and writing is a great place to begin. But even just playing around with, with found things and different parts, it's amazing to watch a student who has no idea what to write all of a sudden come up with so much to say. I just finished having my grade four students doing a What's New's. On Flip, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And they could have written like a news report, but like nothing would have been as layered and multimodal and interesting for them and for their audience as this was. I mean, it was amazing.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would have given uh, given anything to to grow up in this generation. So uh, in, in a way, I <laughs> uh, consider myself fortunate that I get to somewhat live live it through the eyes of of, of my daughters. But think about you know when we grew up like the type I'm um, you know the types of communication that we had uh, you know available to us so <clears throat> sorry that I did that didn't word that properly but like basically you had movies and TV shows and that's it and wow. you know it was something was either 30 minutes or something was 2 hours and that to us was <laughs> visual uh, a, a piece of visual communication think about all the different ways now that you can tell a story that that you know you can tell a story in six seconds you can tell a story in 30 seconds you can do it with a song you can do it with a dance you can do you know uh, all the different options available um to express for the for the for kids to express themselves in, in different ways you know um I think that's that's really what's key here is is that they have so many different ways to do it and we should we should lean into that, I feel like.
0: I definitely feel like we should, but we also have to remember that if we're giving them ideas so that they have choice, we have to leave room for their ideas to be among those choices. Like I, I used to give a list. Okay, here are the things you can choose thinking I was, you know, oh, this is so exciting. I was like, before Choice and Voice was ever a thing. And then my students would be like, well, what, can I create a game instead? And I'd have to wait and think to myself, you know, is that a valid medium? Is that, I mean, why can't I just have them justify it? Why do I have to decide? If they can validate the reason for their medium or whatever their choice is, then isn't that what we're trying to get them to do? To substantiate ideas with examples and defend their point of view, like that is more effective. And I think that, you know, you know, talking about what your daughters are doing in Roblox, like if we don't know what that is, if we don't know what they're playing in and we've never played in those places, then we're vastly out of touch. And how could we possibly teach or know our learners if we don't even know the language of play for them?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You couldn't agree more.
1: And I think, you know, we also there needs to be uh, when we're talking about honoring things for the students. There needs to be an idea that maybe the attention span that they have to certain things, again, based on their generation, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, TikTok videos. Maybe we need to adjust some of our thinking to what. Attention. how long we hold their attention before we allow them to go for a little bit and pull their attention back, depending on what you're doing. If it's a project, uh, Noah, like you said, where they've made a choice to do something, they'll get lost in the flow, just like I'm sure, Eric, your daughters do when they're in roadblocks. They could probably be in roadblocks for two, three hours yep. and like yep. minutes to them. Yep. So yep. honoring what what time frame or at least adjusting our thoughts on the time frames for different aspects of learning
2: i think the medium m- matters so much there you know when you're when you're talking about you know tiktok quick tiktok video you're talking about something short something brief uh, uh, you know there's a certain context to that video there's a certain you know you'll you'll maybe pull out if it's you know you know uh, an educational TikTok, you'll pull out you know one point probably from that video. But like you said, <clears throat> Roblox is a completely you know different medium. Uh, the daily act this is, this is actually um, uh, I read this in a study. The daily active users of Roblox and Minecraft average two point six hours of gameplay a day. That's mm-hmm. that is mind boggling. But you know that type of that medium you know, it, it's, it's exploratory. They're constantly exploring. It's social. They're constantly interacting with others, interacting with their friends. So that time is spent in a different, completely different context, a completely different way. And there's different types of learning that can be applied to that context as opposed to, you know, watching, watching a video or, you know, <clears throat> what have you.
0: I think your point is an essential one for educators when they're planning their day. One is in terms of, what the teacher's providing and setting the tone for attention span, breaks, physical activity, all of that. But then the other aspect is taking those features of those mediums and bringing them into the class. Like two of the favorite things that I love to do, and there are so many is a schmooze. So a student goes and they want to talk about something, but they don't want to talk to each other. So maybe your first schmooze is to have it be digital in a world that they're comfortable with. Pretend you're in Roblox what would you say and now let's try to work them into the gradual release of having a conversation in person so we need to be able to break tasks down but back to your other point about attention span there are far too many educators going oh well their attention spans really frustrating why aren't they paying attention why are there so many kids with attention problems as opposed to going mm-hmm. yeah attention's an issue let's switch it up so that mm-hmm. they can have time for flow We have days where they're just doing what makes them happy, and then they're talking about why, and then they're reflecting on it, and then we pull the learning from there. I think that there are lots of different ways we can adapt what we do in small and big ways for understanding those students. And, Eric, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing that can engage these learners in ways that meet their needs.
2: Yeah, well uh, I think what what our pr- at at the core what we're trying to do is we're not trying to compete with Roblox, we're not trying to compete with Minecraft. <laughs> I think what we tr- you know what what we're doing is we're pro- providing the environment uh for 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 the kids and then pairing the learning to that. So, you know, if we can steal some of that time, some of those the 2.6 hours uh that that the daily active users do a day, if we can steal 20 minutes of that, 30 minutes of that, and turn that into productive learning time. Then you're talking about something that could be really uh, a powerful tool for 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 teachers. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to tell a story that um, I one of our beta teachers reached out to me in November, and and she sent me an email, and she's like, "I have to tell you something. Something really strange is happening to my kids," and I'm like, "What? What's going on?" And she goes. They are using your platform and they're jumping in together at 4.30 after school every day as a class. (laughs) And they're doing mock trials based on what they learned that day and then reporting back to me. And I was like, what? And then she's like, will you come talk to them? I was like, oh, of course. So this this was a a school district just outside of Cleveland. And they were sixth graders. So, So I met them on Zoom and I was like, so I heard you guys are doing mock trials. Who's the judge? And this little girl raises her hand. I'm like, why are you the judge? And she goes, because I'm the fairest, silly. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is what was happening with them and while the and the teacher was like I've never seen anything like this before and but, but what was happening was the sna- whatever snaps is that are firing in their heads when they're playing Roblox together and this is what makes me convinced that it's not the gamification necessarily it's not the, the picking being able to pick up a paintball and and you know uh, and shoot other people it's the social layer that is involved in Roblox games like Roblox and Minecraft. That is really what captivates the children, and it, it, that is what we're trying to provide. That that environment, that social layer, that that can pair with learning in a very very interesting way. I think that's 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 the offering we're 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 building for teachers.
0: But I think your offering is deeper than that. Even than the little bit that I'm hearing, because you you use the terms productive learning time. I think mm-hmm. that what productive learning time used to look like is not the same as what, and to be honest, I don't even think it was that at the time. I think that all those, you know, people following the rules and pretending to read and pretending to do or, or doing it out of compliance and not out of real creativity, was that mm-hmm. productive learning time? I think we need to redefine what productive is. And what you're saying is here are students who are self-directing who are so engaged that they can't wait to do it. And they're doing it after a whole day of learning when they should be exhausted. So it must be infusing them with some joy. And it's more than just that creative collaboration, but it is learning today. Just like there's a whole bunch of expats on the beach hanging out and having a grand time in some cool places. Like we can learn and we can work in lots of different ways and it doesn't necessarily look like the rows of classrooms that we might have grown up with. And I think that that shift is really important and asking ourselves, what is productive learning time? What's the success criteria for that? What are the indicators and look for's for that? That needs to change too. So I think, you know, Ron was talking about constructing your time differently and choice and voice and infusing opportunities with Uh, social emotional learning and understanding that there needs to be explicit instruction and you're talking about you know bringing it to a place that works for them and a place that's inviting and exciting and where they can self-direct and autonomy is a huge part of this generation's learning needs so I think we've Mm. we've got a lot of incredible ideas here I want to make sure that we have a chance to engage with the audience if anybody has any questions for this wonderful panel um, or wants to you know deepen any part of today's conversation but I I think that you know we've laid out the reality that there are shifts that that they have experiences that are new and there's a lot we can do to help set that stage and create that invitation to learn but learning doesn't look like it used to look and teaching shouldn't either. Evan, how do we engage with the listeners? I don't know how to do that on this platform.
2: So the listeners will request access if they have a question, but you guys are flowing okay. right now.
0: I, I wouldn't uh, wait for the <laughs> listeners. This is good stuff going on. Well, I love good stuff, but I always love an opportunity to have people weigh in and engage further. So I think that we've you know, talked a lot about those elements in terms of the teacher and the student, but let's take it out, zoom back just a little bit and look at schools themselves. What do you think this new generation of learners really needs from the school experience?
1: Oof. There, <laughs> I, That's, a, that's a, a heavy question um, for me, just because I think if all of the stuff all of the pieces of education that we just talked about, when you take all those into account, there is no standardized test that is going <laughs> to touch, touch any of those things, right? So until schools, it, as a you know, the big schools, Uh, or the big idea of schools, until they start to take a a little bit of a different look at what is important. I, I think it's going to be up to some individual schools, some of those individual leaders of schools. And if it's not your individual leader of your school, it's what you have to then just do in your classroom for what you know is right for these students moving forward In the future?
0: I think that that's one of the hardest things for you guys in the US because so much um, relies on the meeting of those expectations and those testing. We have a a different system here and here in Ontario, uh, although we do have standardized tests at four grade levels, we don't live and die by those and I think that Um, It gives us a little bit more freedom in the classroom and in the school experience. But I think you're right. Like, Don't wait to be tapped on the shoulder to say, okay, it's time to change. We know what's right. We know who's in front of us. And our job is to teach those learners, not learners from a different time and a vision of education that is no longer in existence. What else? Eric, what do you want for your daughters?
2: I think I, I want them to have the ability to express themselves. I don't want them to feel uh, restrained or confined by a box. I, I, I want them that I want them to be able to um, explore. I want them to be able to to, to really find out who they are um, and what they're good at. Um, I feel like you know growing up, that's I did. You know, I you know I think I ended up going to art school actually because I and 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 you know my my focus all through high school was actually science and math and and I went into engineering you know and and um, ended up being an art major because I don't feel like I had that ability uh, when I was in school um, and I probably should do a a a a a. a a self-reflection on on, on exactly how, how things progressed for me when I was at my daughter's age. But you know, I I think I, I just want them to have the ability to 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 explore and express themselves.
0: It's interesting because you said explore, express, discover, and you talked about knowing themselves. And that's mm-hmm. kind of my sweet spot, whether, you know, not just my book, but all of my work is really about looking selfward and creating opportunities for learners to discover who they are. I think Mm -hmm. that so much of education is external, and we need to create those opportunities to bridge that self-discovery and that self-knowledge, as well as opening up the parameters that can be stricter in some places than others about what discovery looks like. Like It can't just be discovery within the confines of what I've decided you should know. Um, it's something we see happening across the U.S. more and more and I think that other people determining what discovery looks like is challenging. So I'm glad that those are your wishes for your daughters. I hope that they have and you have the chance to drive that. It sounds like the work that you're doing helps to cultivate those kinds of spaces. Ron, what about Mm you?
1: So, I mean, you know, Well, first, I would say I don't have children. So, you know, my students are are my my kiddos, I say. Um, And and what I want for them is I, I just want them to be happy in their lives and know that they are agents of change. Right. They can be agents of change, whether it's a little change in your local community, whether it's a change in your state. Your city, you know, we look at, you know, kids out there like, you know, Greta Thunberg and, you know, Amanda Gorman, not necessarily a, a child, but, you know, a young person. And these are young people making amazing changes and being open and willing to stand up and talk about what they believe in. Um, you know, that's what I, I want to my students to, to know that they have that power.
0: But I think too, you're using two examples of people who were never given power. They took power, one through words and one through action. Yeah. But I think that what you're saying about happiness is really important now more than ever. We are seeing a generation of deeply unhappy children and it is mm. frightening. There is nothing wrong with joy being part of your expectations in a day of lesson plans. Joy should be there, whether it's the music they listen to on the way in the classroom or the laughter that ensues after something happens. All of those things have to be part of what we do. And we want to raise a healthy, happy generation who are well-adjusted. And as you said, not just able to express themselves, but able to be themselves, and to have conviction and to find the way that they can make a difference in this world and not wait for permission, but just take it. I wanna thank you guys so much for spending this time. I wanna thank Beluga for creating spaces like this. And the whole Same Here Schools movement is about understanding where we are so that we can move forward and say same here, we get it. Let's do something about it. Thanks everybody, cheers.